Today we have uh, the CEO of Mplan, Dev. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so why don't we go through what is it that Mplan do and what is the impact that you're looking to have? Yeah. So um, I'll start with the impact. So Mplan solves the two trillion dollar problem that construction projects are consistently and critically delayed. Um, we've all heard of the late construction project. Um, us Londoners are are eagerly awaiting Crossrail and yeah. and get uh, increasingly frustrated when we see it in the in the media that these things are not um, going mm. to be on time or they're drastically over budget. Yeah. And and it's our taxpayer money that's going yeah. down the drain. Yeah. So um, we solve that problem. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and in terms of um, uh, did you you started this company during EF? Like so. I mean, did you have the germ of the idea when you went into EF, or was it something that you um, kind of deliberated over with your co-founders? Um, so very much through deliberation, but um, we, there was some focus to start with. Mm -hmm. So, so my background is I spent eight years at Shell. Mm. Um, I've lived and worked on four different continents, from off the coast of Russia mm. to off the coast of the Netherlands to Qatar to Texas. Yeah, all. Deliver, uh, all working in the capacity to deliver large construction projects for the group. Yeah. Um, and so I saw the pointy end of the problem mm. um, there. All my projects were delayed yeah. um, and were causing great uh, pain to those trying to deliver it and also great financial pain to the group yeah. um, that was sponsoring it. Um, so I knew inherently that I wanted to solve a problem that I've personally gone through myself. Mm -hmm. Now, what precisely was that problem? And how are we going to solve it were things that I, I needed Alan to be by my side to, so that we could figure it out together. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of uh, providing context for the sheer size of the projects that you've been working on, mm. um, would you be able to give us, uh, yeah. would you be able to kind of point us to a project that kind of, uh, in hindsight, inspired this type of idea? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, I, I worked in, Qatar for Shell, um, and the facility there, um, what, every day that we did not start the facility on time cost $4 million a day. So there was an opportunity cost and financial loss combined of $4 million a day. We are six and a half months late. Um, so the math is, is pretty easy. Yeah. It's a lot. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and trust me, when you're on the pointy end of that, mm. Um, you have uh, a lot of pressure coming on from all sorts mm. of sides saying, we got to get this done faster. We ha what do we do to d reduce these delays? Mm. And, and functionally, the thing that I, I remember that, that led to the birth of Nplan was I never felt that I had enough experience to do my own job properly. My experience was the thing that was guiding me towards saying, all right, we have this problem here today on the construction project, mm -hmm. but what do we do about it next? What, what happens next, right? You're always looking into the future to plan something. Mm. To plan something accurately, you need to have enough experience in your mind, in your, in your, in your life, to be able to say something. So mm. I'll give you a real world example that's not in the construction industry. Yeah. If I asked you an obscure question like, um, how long is it going to take you to get from where you are right now to um, to Paris right mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. right? I'm assuming you've not done this precise journey many yeah. times before. 
wait, forget Paris. We can even choose a totally obscure to, to Latvia mm. right now. Um, you could answer, it'll take me between one hour and 10 hours from now, mm. right? And you're probably right. In that range, yeah. you'll do it. Now, you go and do that, that what you're planning to do, mm-hmm. and you do it again and again and again. Mm. What you're doing is you're getting experience. So the 10th time you do that journey and I ask you, how long is it going to take you to get to Riga in Latvia from here? You'll say four hours and 15 minutes, give or take 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And you become a pro at getting to Riga. Yeah. What you're doing is you're gaining experience. Now, it takes you a pretty long time to go get that experience. Now, scale that into the construction industry. If I ask you, how long is it going to take to paint that wall? Mm. Well, you first have to do it once and then you get that experience. Yeah. A construction project could have like Crossrail yeah. has 1.2 million activities in it. That someone had to have the right amount of experience to be able to say, this is how long these activities should take. Yeah. So back to the, the birthstone of the problem yeah. or that we identified, it was, I never had enough experience to do my own job properly. So mm. I don't know. And could I wait 40 years to go get that experience? Mm. Um, impatient dev can't wait 40 years. <laughs> so um, off we went to go learn how the world has built its, its construction projects. Yeah so that we could predict the outcomes of future ones. Mm. And, and the, the headline statistic that, that we're most proud of is that we've learned from the equivalent of half a trillion US dollars worth of capital projects, that by far the largest database of construction schedules in the world, in scale, five times the size of the UK construction market for five years straight, um, is the amount of data we've learned from already. And we're only one and a half years old. Um, and that number continues to grow, which means we are, in effect, the world's most experienced construction professionals now. Except we're not real people. <laughs> it's, it's just a machine doing it's this Just now. a machine. Yes. So um, in, uh, in practicality, essentially, what your, uh, what your technology um, helps big construction sites or companies do mm. is to automate some level of the project management. Uh, um, the project management? Is yeah, it? so it's, it's the forecasting ability. Yeah. Um, it's to say, um, in your future plans, what's most likely to go wrong next? Mm. Um, so we do that at, on epic scales, we do that uh, here in the UK on the largest construction project the UK has done mm. for 100 years, which is High Speed 2. Um, on High Speed 2, as you may see in the media, there's a lot of uncertainty about where that project is going, yeah. how long it's going to take, what risks does it be, is it 50 billion, is it 80 billion? Mm. All of these questions are about forecasting into the future. And that's what we supercharge. Mm. And I mean... So you guys are automating a lot of the project management um, uh, systems and processes within these projects. Now, I mean, you've you've managed. To, this sounds like a really convenient um, idea, and but in hind, well, in practicality, extremely complex. So in order to be able to gain accurate forecast, I mean, you would have had to get some really. Uh, you would have got, you, you, you probably have to accumulate a lot of quality data. The only thing that helps us get access to that, mm. this very, very sensitive data mm. that is held by very, very large corporate giants um, is demonstrating value. Okay. Um, so this is such a big problem that so many organizations face that they simply don't have good enough ways to know what risks they have. Mm. Um, in front of them. And then case in point, in 2018, January, Carillion collapsed, right? Because yeah. a few projects went yeah. really badly. Yeah. Now, that's risk. They just didn't know what, it was going, what, what was going to happen before it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so selling uh, a service that could prevent something like that, mm. and not only prevent something like that, 
but also enable the industry to move forward into a more productive world mm. is is fairly easy track it, it has moderately um, moderate tractability to it mm. and what I mean by that is um, tractability in our world is our ability to work to talk to a construction company mm. and for them to say we think this is big enough that we're willing to put money behind it so we earn fees to help with our product development and give us all of your sensitive data so that we can work on this machine learning model. Did you start off thinking, do you know what, this is going to be huge or did you have to get the evidence from your clients initially? No, so we, we started off with um, asking the questions like what, what's the biggest problem that we can solve? Yeah. And then a few people almost jokingly said, well, you know, if you could just learn from how the whole world built its stuff and let me know how to build mine, that would be just great. We're yeah. Like, ha, wonderful. <laughs> so uh, we did that. And not really having any sort of clue how valuable it could actually become. Yeah. We first saw the like its potential when chief executives of FTSE 100 construction businesses started calling other chief executives, like their cohort of chief executives, to say, hey, you need to meet this company and plan. They're on to something that is worth your time. Mm. Um, that's when I was like, okay, that, nice. I guess people like us. Mm. But value started to come when in month three, I mean, we, we barely even had a logo at that time. <laughs> and High Speed 2, which is a government funded uh, body mm -hmm. said, we'll pay you a six-figure amount to try it out on, on High Speed 2. And we're like, what? <laughs> and so off we went. We're like, okay, go get a logo and let, let's become professional about what we're yeah. doing here. And, and that was the real, like, wow, this is, if they're willing, if a government agency is willing to throw, not throw, give six <laughs> figures to a company that barely got a name, yeah. um, there must be something valuable behind mm. this. Did your algorithms translate really well across different industries? So we only work in the construction industry, okay. but it does transcend into all types of construction. Really? Okay. So this is the, the our, our IP or our patent is basically the way for a machine to read um, Gantt charts or schedules mm -hmm. and to be able to correlate learnings from one to the other. So mm. we can say things like, this is the difference between a swimming pool and a high-speed railway, mm. numerically. Yeah. Right? Um, which people will just say, oh yeah, they're totally different. But for a machine to be able to compare and contrast um, different projects is, is completely novel for the industry. Mm. I can imagine. And um, in, terms of, uh, um, in terms of different use cases for your technology, did you, whilst you were doing a lot of these projects, kind of figure out, do you know what? I, our data has different use cases. Did you yeah. come across that? So. Yeah, and, and quite naively, um, to be honest. Um, yeah. So we still, I still operate on the principle of I always start with questions. Mm. And um, asking questions is the only way I think I learn. Um, and I keep learning. Uh, I'm still learning. Mm. So I, I'll give you an example um, that happened actually fairly recently. So we started, um, we were invited to speak to a uh, chief executive of one of the largest asset managers in the UK. They have close to a trillion pounds of assets under management. Mm -hmm. And they, the questions I was asking them about, so how, did, how is it difficult for you to make these sorts of investment decisions? And the sorts of use cases that we were getting back, they're like, wow, actually what we're doing is incredibly valuable for banks. 
banks that make investments into con into construction, construction projects, projects, right? Ah, which happened okay. quite a lot. Um, the and then from there it was um, um, whilst we're providing an assurance service, like hey, this is where your project is most likely to go. The grown-up version of assurance is insurance, hmm. um, and maybe we can open up a new insurance marketplace here. Wow. Um, so these are new products that the world does not even know exists. Yeah. Um, so there's a ton of market making required to, mm. to enable products like this to come to life. Mm. Uh, there's a ton of capital required to make uh, products like that come to life. Yeah. But um, they're all exciting um, new areas that we're slowly discovering could, um, could lend itself towards as we develop our core technology. Mm. Um, kind of transitioning into uh, you, the business person, and the process of building and plan. Um, you went through the EF process. What kind of inspired or motivated you to go through that process? Because I understand you hadn't set up a business previously no, before, right? No, definitely my first radio. Your first radio. Um, so, so I mentioned earlier that I worked for Shell for eight years, mm -hmm. which was a great experience. I got to travel the world. I got to see problems happen in real life. Yeah. Um, I then spent 18 months in under Theresa May's government. Um, and I was a, an advisor, and one of the things I did was I wrote the UK's National Strategy on Artificial Intelligence. Okay. Which was published in September of 2017, and lots and lots of cool things have happened since then. Mm. So that set the tone and the cadence of policy work that the UK government is currently executing on. Yeah. Despite everything else that's going on, yeah. they still do this <laughs> stuff. Um, and, and so you think, like, okay, so what, what links uh, construction projects guy to working in, in the civil service to starting a business. Well, the common denominator is purpose. And the purpose that I yearned for is impact. And I wanted to make bigger and bigger impacts in what I was doing. I didn't mm. care as much about how much money was coming into my bank account, nor did I care what titles I held, nor did I necessarily care about the technical work I did, which mm. uh, as a previous engineer, one would think that that mattered. The thing that ca I cared about was making impact. And so the transition into EF was, was purely, um, if I want to make the greatest impact to the world I live in, how could I possibly do that? And it's by answering the biggest questions that the world can't answer today, mm. um, and to do that at an epic scale, which also requires um, epic amounts of capital, epic amounts of backing to get these massive ideas off the ground um, and effectively change the world. Yeah. And um, you, you seem like a person that questions questions. And uh, I mean, th that's kind of... Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's worked out so far. I mean, this sounds like a bizarre question, so apologies in advance. <laughs> yeah. But um, is there any advice on getting advice? Uh, I mean... Yeah, I, I see what you mean. Um, yes. Um, so one, your ideas are worthless. Uh, which means if you're seeking advice, you should not be seeking advice on an idea. Okay. Um, I think people make that mistake very often. It's like, mm. hey, um, Chad, what do you think of this idea? The thing you are going to say in response to my question is, yeah, it looks all right. Mm. Like, quite, quite good, right? I've asked you a question, but I already know what answer you're going to give me, which means I started it off incorrectly. Yeah. Instead, I should be yearning to learn from you. So advice is, gets mis misguided by people thinking that I get to receive feedback on something, mm. whereas the only thing advice is truly valuable for is to learn something. So I should be asking you about 
tell me about your ideas, Chet, mm. and then I'll learn something from it. Yeah. And and I've always practiced that. So I I don't go and pitch to people that I believe will give me advice. Okay. So how have you gone about getting advice and kind of um, navigating that process? Because um, you're a first-time entrepreneur. You've done, yeah. You've done pretty well. So. <laughs> so I. I mean, the first I would say is. Before I started, I knew I should trust my gut. Okay. Um, even though I'm a first-time entrepreneur, I've I've been working for for ten years, mm-hmm. right? So this is not the first time I've worked with complex characters in complex environments with complex stakeholders and relationships yeah. and so forth. All of that gets honed, especially when you work for organizations like mm. Shell and the central government. Yeah. Um, trust your gut was one, but seeking advice, I feel like if you trust your gut, you'll be able to listen to as many people as possible, draw patterns from them, which equals insight, mm-hmm. and then take insight into action. So it's not like I would ever go to someone and say, this is my problem, tell me what to do, and then I go do it. Mm. That's very seldom that I'll do that. Yeah. I'll listen, 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 and then draw a pattern to say, I've heard all of these things, I think in my gut this is the way I should go, and then go do that. Now, I've made loads of mistakes in doing that, right? I'm not saying I'm, <laughs> I'm perfect and I have perfect gut instinct, Yeah. but at least um, I hold it inside me that it's come from me, and that's when you learn. Because if I just take everything you say and just go do that, I'm not learning anything. Hmm. I'm just replicating. That's really interesting. So, like, what I've kind of heard from you is you take you you're conscious about gathering enough data points to a point where you you can trust your gut instinct. I mm-hmm. mean, there has to be a certain level yeah. of data points for you to take yeah. in. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. Um, so, you guys have raised a substantial round straight after um, EF. Actually, let's um, let's talk about the conclusion of EF. Mm-hmm. Um, how was the pitching process for you? Yeah, you're 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 pulling me back to uh, quite a while ago. Which Am I giving March you anxiety now? No, no, it's fine <laughs> now. It's, it was March of 2018. Yeah. Um, and if you want to talk about anxiety, in a few weeks, I'm going to be speaking on center stage at Web Summit. That's oh, uh, a whole lot bigger than uh, doing EF Demo Day. <laughs> um, the, um, the whole process itself was, at the time, tormenting. Um, the EF put you through the processes and, and really make you sweat. Mm. Uh, you don't know how you're going to come out of it. But in the end, I mean, I would say 90, maybe 90 plus percent of the companies that go through the process end up just fine. They end up really well. Mm. They, they become successful businesses if you mm. go through the process properly. Mm. Um, so whilst it's tormenting at the time, the net result was obviously um, was good. Yeah. What advice would you kind of give your younger self in terms of um, pitching and also fundraising as well? Because, mm. I mean, from my understanding, my limited research, I mean, you did pretty well on that front. Yeah. Um, so one, I would say, don't take yourself too seriously. Mm-hmm. I, so I took, I took the pitching process very seriously and I practiced and I did it well. I would not change that. Mm. So the amount of stress that I went through was good. If I didn't have that, I probably would have just been like, oh, I'll just go on stage and see what happens. Mm. Um, the fundraising process, the thing that I feel was really valuable to me was to not let it get the better of me mm. and to realize that it's the investors that are interested in me, not the other way around. Yeah. Eventually, I built an affinity to the investors that I wanted to, to work with. Yeah. And that's who 
I, I chose to work with in, from my seed round onwards. Yeah. But to give you an, a tangible example, I went on holiday halfway <laughs> through. I just said, I'm going on holiday now. <laughs> I went and I went off to the coast of Kenya and I was uncontactable. Yeah. I had a holiday message on saying, if you need to reach me, um, it's going to be a, a few weeks, uh, or a week or so, 10 days before I'm going to get replied to your email. Yeah. And it was fine. Bad. <laughs> I, actually, I probably would argue that it was a benefit for us. Really? Yeah. W would you do that again? Yeah. You would? Yeah. That's, that's I don't, uh, just to make it clear, I do not sacrifice my personal time to build this company. Wow, okay. I do not do that. Yeah. Because I recognize the value of downtime. Everyone who works for Nplan recognizes that as well. Yeah. Um, it is part of our company culture to not be, you know, the bros that work 50 hours, uh, 100 hours a week. We don't do that. We work 40-ish hours a week and enjoy our time out of the office. Amazing. Uh, I suppose that on, on social media, you kind of see like it's a cool thing to do, right? Working like 70 hours a week. And yeah, yeah I, I think it's not cool at all. I hate it. Um, <laughs> not because I don't like working hard. Like, yeah. Don't get me wrong. When I'm working, I'm working. Mm. I'm not faffing about. I'm very meticulous about my time, meticulous about what I do, when I do it. And everyone in the company is like that. Um, we don't mess about when we're in the office and we're working, mm. or even if we're out of the office and working. Mm. Um, but we also value that the human brain needs time to recharge if you want it to operate at optimal capacity. Yeah. And, and when, we, when we're open to communicate this with investors that might think that I should have been working 70 hours a week, um, it was a great filter. Those that felt that oh, this guy's a slacker, great. I don't think you're the right kind of investor for me, right? Mm. It turns out that no one actually thinks this way. In real life, if you actually have good, if, you're, if your company is doing, producing end results, right, which is the only thing that actually matters, mm. you work 70 hours a week or 30 hours a week, if you both get to the same point, the only winner is the one who did it in 30 hours, not the 70-hour person. Yeah. So um, advice on, on fundraising is always don't take yourself too seriously. Um, don't take the fundraise process too seriously. Um, always remember, if you're building something valuable, um, people will come to you. Mm. Um, kind of uh, transitioning into your company. Mm -hmm. I mean, what is the, what do you aspire to kind of create over the next 18 months now? Because uh, obviously you acquired funding last year, you, mm. you mentioned you've, uh, you've done a bulk of your hiring. Um, I mean, wh what are you aspiring to build for the next 18 months? So, so our, our path for the next 18 months is, is to demonstrate um, uh, the depth of our product. Um, depth of product is, we've demonstrated at a, at a surface level that what we do is technically tractable, that it works, that a machine can learn this thing. But there's a certain amount of depth required for it to be truly valuable. So the thing that um, we, we're, we're seeking is essentially the uh, executives that we are delivering our product to in multiple companies that we are already working with to say Nplan services are indispensable. That's it. We would not want to continue operations. We must have Nplan, period. Mm. Um, and that's what we, we aspire for the, for the next 18 months. That is insanely hard to do yeah. with the types of companies we work with and the type of technology we're developing as a best of a kind. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, is there anything that you've kind of learned 
throughout this process? I mean, in terms of from a product building standpoint? Very openly, this is also one of the places that we, or I have failed, okay. um, was not recognizing the importance of understanding a customer's requirement. Interesting, um, okay. So we, very early on, we started to talk, or I, I was initially talking to executives yeah. who said, we love it. Um, go chat to these other people in my company and, and go make things happen. Mm. And what we did was we failed, we forgot that the people that care about Mplan and the people that use Mplan are different people. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and so we ended up building a product for a set of users that didn't care about Mplan. Wow. Um, and it consumed a huge amount of our efforts. Um, we were hugely involved and it came crashing down on us yeah. eventually, mm. right? Where a customer said, we don't understand what you do. We're like, what? You've been <laughs> using our product for like months. Like, what do you mean you don't understand what we do? Mm. And it was true. They were like, we don't get it. Um, what happens inside all of these things? And we're like, wow, this is, um, this is revealing. And for a customer to say, we don't even understand it, was a huge failure in our ability to say, who are we building this thing for? For what use case? For It's this thing called the job to be done. Yeah. What's the job that the product needs to do? Mm. And we didn't even think of what that would be. Wow. We just started, someone was like, oh yeah, you know, if you could put colors to do this, that'd be really cool. And we're like, done, let's go, <laughs> go, go build that. Yeah. And then three weeks later, we'd ship it. And we're like, look, the colors are there. <laughs> and then we're like, oh, okay, yeah, but now if you, the graph could also do this, then, okay, do, do it. And we just hotchpotched this thing together, yeah. shipped it to people that were like, yeah, you know, mediocre about Nplan. Yeah. And then whilst the executives that made the decision, that gave us the data, gave us the money, that you know, did everything for us here, they didn't get anything out of it. Um, and, and so the failure was really in like not sitting down and thinking with our users, with the people that care about us, about what do you actually need? Mm. And we've since shifted dramatically away from that model of, inadequate um, um, connections with our, and these are deep and meaningful connections with our users and the people that care about us, mm. and making sure these things align. Mm. So now we, we sit down and we talk about, uh, we, we've come to learn things like, you know, maybe someone would just appreciate an automated phone call. Someone, one person said, I would love to get a voicemail once a day with the latest update for what's going on in my portfolio. Wow, really? Mm and then take that and make sure that aligns with other user groups in the same area and then we'll build products around that mm. with a very specific and meticulous sort of process around what value are we creating, what effort does it take on our side, when can we deliver it by, so on and so forth. So product management, I guess, is the overall theme of it. Yeah. Has really matured over time mm. um, since we first started off. Yeah, and, and is it something that you're still working on in terms of segmenting feedback by all means, yes. Yeah. And I do not think we will conclude this for the next two or three years. Yeah. In fact, I would argue that we probably will never conclude this. Yeah. It keeps on evolving and integrating. Just a constant evolution process. Yeah. But at least we've set up, we've set up the processes and methods and, and you know, we've learned the hard way of how not to run product. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, let's go through the quick fire round. Mm. Um, most valuable purchase under £100? A Leatherman. Explain. What a Leatherman is, is a multi-tool um, that fits into a pocket. So it's like a Swiss Army knife, okay. but better. What with like screwdrivers and things? Screwdrivers, it's got, uh, 
got a pen, it's got a ruler, it's got um, <laughs> spanners, it's got... I mean, it's insane how much stuff comes out of a Leatherman. Yeah. Um, I like fixing stuff. Yeah. And there's the Leatherman... Oh, my backpack's not here. But there is a Leatherman <laughs> in my backpack. Amazing. All the time. Fun fact, don't try fly with it. Um, oh, <laughs> it I can imagine. Contains, also contains knives. Um, but as an, an old, once upon a time mechanical engineer, um, I still enjoy having a Leatherman. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what is a, a book you would gift to a fellow startup founder? The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Ben Horowitz. Yes. Great book. Yeah. yeah. Loads of people have read it already, but, but. Um, it's a book that I'm glad I read it when I did, which is after I had to let go of an employee. Wow. Uh, which was so hard for me. Mm. Um, and then I read it. Uh, someone told me I should read it at that point. Yeah. And I did. And I was like, whoa, that's true. Like, yeah. I'm so glad. The, the, what I thought was a hard thing then was like, ah, that was a piece of cake. Yeah. Um, and knowing that where you sit in, in, the, in the big things of all the problems that may or may not come my way mm. is, is really helpful. Yeah, amazing. And um, most valuable advice you've received? It can be blank state. Doesn't Don't listen to yeah. advice. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so this is the point about earlier, right? It's, um, so advice is, um, is not, I mean, so it's not directly don't listen to it, but um, don't just take advice and then go action it. That's mm. not valuable to the learner. Mm. Um, you take advice, you take more advice, and then you triangulate and, and discover insight, then you take action. Mm. So, um, so it's don't take singular advice as, as the truth about what to do for you personally. Yeah. Um, most valuable failure? Um, we covered it slightly, but the, I think the, the product failures were, were pretty valuable for us. We would not be in the position of strength today if we didn't fail the way we did before. Yeah. And what gives you the most relief as a founder? My team. It's all team. Amazing. It's all them. Yeah. Um, it's, all, it's the fact that I can sleep every night knowing that I have the smartest people in the world uh, working on the hardest problem in the world for the biggest impact in the world. And that it's not just me that has to do it. So we take great pride in, in engineering excellence. Okay. Um, what I mean by that is we're, we're a team of 17 today with 14 engineers. Um, and the machine learning team, which is the, the largest team we have, um, they they're so committed to excellence in what they're doing, meaning uh, to push the boundaries of everything that has been known to be possible, to learn things. Many, so many people have said, what you're doing technically cannot be done. Hmm. And they're like, no, it can be done. And one of the things that's quite special about them is when we were two people, um, they started a machine learning paper club, so a research club. Um, it's like a book club, but you talk about research papers. Um, it only floats a few people's boat. Um, yeah, but that has grown completely organically. Um, we do it once a week, every week, on Thursdays at 1 p.m. in Google's offices. Um, Google buys the lunch, so we do it there. Um, <laughs> um, but the, the following is, is, the, is the amazing part. We've made yeah. so many people have come to us and said how valuable they find it. We're not there to sell and plan. Mm. Um, it's a collegiate effort where everyone who comes contributes papers. They talk about papers very openly, their opinions on papers. 
And in the world, in the ever-changing world of machine learning, where it's moving at light speed, um, very few people find communities that they can engage in that are not predatory. Mm. Uh, and this is truly a non-predatory community. Like mm. No one's allowed to advertise. We don't advertise. Um, we've people have approached us as a result of that community saying, we'd love to work with you. Like, you've got a bunch of ex amazing brains that work at Emplan, and we'd love mm. to be part of that. This is the um, excellence attracts excellence. Right? And, but also do that in a way that um, shares it with the community, making it open and, and accessible. So even if you don't have a PhD in machine learning, you can still come along to the paper club and you may learn a few things. You may not be able to follow the whole thing, mm -hmm. but the principles are there that it's open and, and welcoming. Um, and we've been doing that for, for a year, just over a year now, uh, every single weekend, every single Thursday, without fail. Um, and it's one of those communities that has grown to close to 800 people involved, yeah. um, not a single bit of marketing done, never published anything, never advertised anything. It's just word of mouth, people mm. going out. So um, that's something that I, I'd love to promote. It's, it's, uh, this is probably the first time we've ever promoted something, like mm. promoted the club. Um, but it's, it's friendly and accessible. So why yeah. can't more people be part of it? Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Any, Brilliant. Any questions for us? Uh, no. no. <laughs> when can I leave? <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're